Well, good morning. In the uh, winter of 1990, I made a new friend. His name was Mark. Uh, Mark was brand new to our school. We happened to uh, be in Mr. Perkins' fifth grade class at Hamilton Heights Elementary School. And I just kind of immediately hit it off. As soon as we got to know each other, we instantly became best friends. 27 years ago, we're still close. And uh, there was, there was a, an early snow that winter. And so Mark invited me to come over to his house. He said, I've got a great hill in my front yard that we can go sledding down. And like, you know, I'm 10 years old. I'm like, this is the best thing ever. Of course, I want to go sledding. And so I talked to my parents. Uh, they say, yeah, sure, you can go and hang out over there. And that night was the first time that I met Mark's parents, Bill and Linda Strickland. And over the next seven years, the Stricklands would become like family to me. And the one thing that always stood out to me about Bill and Linda uh, was just how much their faith meant to them. Like their faith in Jesus was so much more than just words that they said. It was so much more than just pictures that hung on the walls of their home. Uh, their faith in Jesus did so much more in their life than just to find what they did on Sunday mornings. Uh, their, their faith in Jesus really influenced everything about who they were and who they were becoming. You could tell it was the most important thing about them. And it just kind of came out of them in everything that they did. And, and I think that that stood out to me so much because I grew up in a home that was much, much different than that. I grew up in a home where faith wasn't a priority. We never talked about God. We never talked about Jesus. We never went to church. My parents were good, loving people. They provided a very caring, nurturing home for my brother and I, but faith was, was never a part of that home. I remember one time when I was younger, uh, my dad decided, hey, we are going to go to church. And uh, I, I knew some friends at the church that we were going to go to. And so I was pretty excited. We woke up early one Sunday morning. We got all dressed up. We got in the car. And, and I remember thinking, even at a young age, like, dad seems really nervous about this. Like, I'm just excited to see my friends, but dad's really nervous. And we pull into the parking lot of this church. And we get out, and as we are walking up to the door, the person who's standing there kind of greeting everybody um, knows my dad from the community, and, and not even kidding, he looks at my dad, and he goes, ah, oh, well, there's the heathen. Like, I had no idea what a heathen was at that time. All I knew is that when we got in the car to leave that morning, my dad said, we are never going back to that church again. And not only did we never go back to that church, but we just never went back to church, period. Like that event left such an emotional scar on my dad. But Bill and Linda were different than my dad's friend that made him feel like he was an outsider. Bill and Linda, even though I wasn't a Christian, the Stricklands welcomed me into their family. They showered me with unconditional love and acceptance and grace. As I got older, uh, they never missed an opportunity to tell me, Sean, God loves you and he has a plan for your life. And even, you know, as I was a punk high schooler going, good for him, I don't really care. You know, they continued to just show me love and acceptance and grace. And they never missed an opportunity to tell me about God's love in a way that just felt like they really cared for me. Bill and Linda genuinely cared. 
And, and not just because I was their son's friend and they wanted to keep a close eye on those who were influencing him. Not just because of that. Certainly not because they saw me as some kind of project. You know, Sean's not a believer. We need to convert him. You know, I wasn't a project to Bill and Linda. They cared for me. They invested their lives in me. They took deep interest in me that, quite frankly, I didn't deserve. God used Bill and Linda as an extension of his own love for me. Their love and their care and their concern eventually helped me understand and know God's love and care and concern for me exhibited through Jesus. And it all started because of a sled and because of followers of Jesus who said, we are going to care enough to discover this young man's story. And they cared enough to love me, sometimes in spite of me. Do you have someone like that in your life? Do you have someone who loved you so incredibly well that it helped you see and understand God's love? I hope you do. I've really enjoyed listening to the One Life stories that we've been able to share together in over the last couple of months. And a common thread that I've noticed in every single one of these stories, maybe you've noticed it as well, a common thread that I've seen is, is that it, it wasn't a detailed, um, perfectly memorized and executed gospel presentation that eventually opened up this person's heart to the Lord. It wasn't that all of their spiritual questions were finally answered and, and all of their hang-ups with Christianity were finally resolved. No, you know, those things aren't bad things. And we absolutely should be able to clearly articulate the message of the gospel and what Jesus has done for us. We should absolutely, as Peter tells us, to always be willing and ready to give an answer for the hope that we have in Christ. All of those are good things. But more often than not, the thing that opens up people's hearts to God's love is when someone cares enough about them to genuinely get to know them, to genuinely hear their story. Someone loves them enough to listen, to ask questions, and to hear their story. If you were here for the panel a couple of weeks ago, or maybe you were able to catch it online, you, you may have noticed like that was kind of a common thread even amongst our panelists. Each one of them in their own individual way essentially said something like this, everyone has a story. Care enough about me to get to know mine. Don't label me, don't judge me, don't write me off. Care enough about me because we all have stories. We all have a hurt, a hang-up, a habit. We've all been somewhere that we rather would not have been. We've all done stuff we rather would not have done. All of us have a story that has kind of made us who we are. Care enough about me to get to know me and hear mine. I've been hanging out and. Claudia Mitchell's office this morning. If you know Claudia, you know that she has such a heart for the Lord and for his people. And in her office, she has a sign that, that says, being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they are almost indistinguishable. That, that being heard and feeling loved are wrapped and woven so tightly together that most of us don't even know where one ends and the other begins. There is something so powerful about having someone listen to and care for your story. 
It is the thing that God used to open up my heart. Maybe it's the thing that he used to open up your heart as well. There is something powerful about having someone in your life that you know just genuinely cares about you. They want to know where you've been. They want to know what you've done. They want to know what has been done to you. And they want to show you God's grace through it all. And so as we continue today in our One Life series, we're going to be talking about the second D in 3D1, discover stories. So last week, Tom kicked this off by looking at the importance of developing friendships with people who are living far from God. Next week, we're going to be wrapping up this One Life series by talking about discerning next steps. And all of this, we are calling the 3D1 process. And so as you identify your one life, as you pray to find someone in your life who is currently living far from God, that that you feel God is pushing you towards to be a spiritual influencer in their life, you start by developing a deep, meaningful friendship with them. And then eventually you will begin to discover their stories as you listen with care and with empathy. And all the while you are discerning their next steps. You're you're discerning, God, what is their next step to you? But you're also discerning, God, what is my next step in this person's life? How do you want to use me to be a spiritual influencer in this person's life? 3D1, develop friendships, discover stories, discern next steps with your one life. And now, we've been kind of giving a 30,000-foot overview of the 3D1 process, both here in the sermons and in life groups, but we're also offering a class called 3D1 Training. And in this 3D1 Training, we're going to be doing more of a deep dive into the nuts and the bolts of how we do this. How do we determine who our one life is going to be? How do we develop friendships and discover stories and discern next steps? We have a team that has worked really hard on putting together an excellent training class. And we have a desire to see every single Christ follower at Sherwood Oaks to go through this class. Everyone to go through this 3D1 training. We have multiple ways that you can sign up. You can go to our website, socc.org slash one life. There's a link there that you can sign up. We have uh, over 30 options that you can choose from over the next month and a half. You can also go out into the lobby and get signed up for one of these classes and just take advantage of this because this is so important. And the point of all of this is that as we develop deeper friendships with our one life, we are naturally going to begin to discover their story. And to be honest, this is where traditional evangelism and spiritual influence begin to diverge. Because in traditional evangelism, people will take that step to maybe develop a friendship. And then it's like they open up the fire hydrant and want to tell their poor new friend everything that they know about Jesus to where it like begins to push them back going, whoa, 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 what just happened here? And all of a sudden, now this person feels more like a project than a person. And that's not what spiritual influence is about. I don't think that's the heart of what it means. And just a little side note, if you are here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe somebody drug you here today, uh, maybe you're just kind of maybe trying to find your way back to God, Um, You might have had a well-meaning friend or relative that have made you feel more like a project than a person. And I just want to speak to you right now. Um, I don't know who that person is in your life, but my guess is that they probably did it from a place of care and concern and love. Um, As Christians, we feel like we have the greatest hope 
that can be found in this world through Jesus. And sometimes we get a little zealous about wanting other people to find that hope that we have found in him. And so we can come off in ways that we don't intend to. And so what we ask as a church is that you'll be kind and gracious to us as we just try to figure this out. That's why we're doing this series. Uh, That's why we had a panel of non-Christians up here a couple of weeks ago just to share their story. And and so if you're here and you've ever felt more like a project than a person to someone, um, I want you to know that as a church, we're trying to do better. We want to do better for you and for others. So church, how can we do a better job at being spiritual influencers? How can we do a better job of loving people by discovering their story? I think the first thing that's important for us to remember is proximity matters. Proximity matters. You see, the truth is, even the most Christ-like Christian will be totally ineffective in reaching the lost unless they are near people who are living far from God, right? You can be the most devoted follower of Jesus, but you will be completely ineffective in being a spiritual influencer if you are not living with people or close proximity to people who are living far from God. Like, it's hard to have influence if you are not relationally or physically close to someone. And, and you would think that that would be easier the longer that we're a follower of Jesus. You would think that it would be easier the, the more that our heart aligns with God's heart, the more that we grow to understand the Great Commission. You think that this would be easier. But in fact, the exact opposite is typically the case. Study shows that the longer someone is a Christian, the fewer non-Christians they have in their life. The, the longer someone is a follower of Jesus, the fewer non-followers of Jesus they have in their life. We just kind of huddle up in our Christian bubble and we isolate ourselves from the very ones that God sent us out to reach. And it doesn't work that way. And I think that Jesus modeled this so incredibly well for us. One of the Old Testament names of the coming Messiah was Emmanuel, which means God with us, not God separate from us, not God above us, God with us. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And then here's our example that he points to, verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as who? Christ Jesus. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage, meaning that he did not hold on to it. He did not stay in a place where, where he was in glory. He was surrounded by angels worshiping. He was in that comfortable place. He did not hold on to that. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. God with us, Emmanuel, came to be one of us. And he lived amongst us in this earth. And, and it's not like he got here and then immediately just went and huddled up with all the other religious people. In fact, it's the exact opposite. The religious people criticize Jesus often for his proximity to the unreligious. It's what earned him the label friend of sinners, a label the religious leaders put on Jesus as a criticism, but one I think that Jesus was probably rather proud of. In fact, I think he kind of liked being called a friend of sinners. 
Because that's exactly what he came to do. Jesus said, my mission, the reason why I came is to seek and save the lost. And he knew that he could not do that unless he actually spent time building relationships with people who were living far from God. And so often you read the Gospels and you read that Jesus had compassion on an individual or on a crowd. And I'm telling you, it is hard to have compassion on people that you do not know. That you don't know what's going on in their life. You don't know what they care about or what concerns them. But Jesus knew. Jesus knew, and not because of some supernatural divine insight. He knew because he loved people well and he listened to them. I'm going to tell you, my wife does this so well. Like when I grow up, I, I want to be like my wife. She is an amazing person. Before we had kids, Amber was a manager at a bank for several years, high-level position, important person, and she was really good, really good at what she did. But she was even better at showing love and kindness and compassion for those with whom she did it with. She loved her employees, and it was so incredibly clear that they loved her too. There were countless times when one of them would come into her office, shut the door, and just say, hey, I need to talk, and Amber would listen because she's a person of care and compassion. She would listen to their story. She would ask questions. She would follow up, and she would pray with them. And people felt loved by her. Even though she was their boss, they felt loved by her. I told her one time that she did more ministry out of her office at the bank than I ever did out of my office in the church. But it's because proximity matters. I'm surrounded by Christians all day. (laughs) Proximity mattered for her, both physically and relationally. She was driven, and she was close to people living far from God. And she had an incredible opportunity to discover their stories and to show them love and compassion that Jesus had for them. And as you share life with those close to you, it is very natural that you just want to begin to know their story. You'll care more deeply about them. You'll genuinely want to know what life has been like. You'll want to know what, what, what you know, drives them, what, what they dream about and what keeps them up at night. You'll want to know what's going well in their life and what seems to be falling apart. When you are close to someone and you grow to love them the way that Jesus loves them, you'll naturally want to discover their story. And so we cannot miss this. Proximity matters. We've got to bust out of our holy huddle if we want to be spiritual influencers. Second, if you want to be a spiritual influencer, just be you. Just be you. And for some of you, this may be the most important thing you hear today. You do not have to be anyone other than you. Because here's the thing, God made you to be exactly who you are. And he wants to use your temperament, your personality, your background and experiences. God wants to use all of the things that make you uniquely you to make a difference in this world right now. Now, so don't ever feel like you have to be someone that you're not to your one life. Just be you. And scripture is filled with examples of all kinds of people that God can use. Peter walked around with his foot perpetually stuck in his mouth. And if you're here today and you're like, yeah, that's me, or someone's giving you a nudge going, yeah, that's you, I've got good news. God can use you. 
And Paul's intelligence helped him give an intellectual reason and response for his faith. And, but, but then we have the man who was born blind that Jesus healed. Who, he didn't know anything about Jesus except he once was blind, but now he sees and he was telling everyone he could about what Jesus had done for him. Lydia's hospitality led to a church being planted in her hometown of Philippi where thousands of people would come to faith in Jesus. And as you discover people's stories, the important thing is just be you. I'm telling you, your humility to say to your one life, when they share something with you, like maybe they share a story where they blew it, your humility to say, you know what, I've blown it too. (laughs) I understand, man. I get it. Like that might be the hammer that knocks down the wall in their life that says that all Christians are hypocrites or think of themselves as holier than thou. As you discover people's stories, your intellectual insight might be able to to answer some of their objections to Christianity or might be able to, to articulate and explain the gospel to them in a way that they've never heard it before. The story of how Jesus changed your life, your I once was blind, but now I see story. The story of how Jesus changed your life might give your one life hope that their story can change too. Your hospitality and kindness might help someone open up about something that they've never had the courage to share with anyone, but you feel like a safe place. If you're an introvert, any introverts in here this morning? Yeah, they never raise their hand. Um, <laughs> maybe a couple. You're borderline introvert. <laughs> if you're an introvert in here, you may be thinking, there is no way that God can use someone like me. This is only for extroverts. This is way out of my comfort zone, but listen to me. Introverted seekers need introverted spiritual influencers. God can and God wants to use someone exactly like you to make a difference in somebody's life. So just be who you are as you discover their stories and let that flow naturally out of you through the leading and direction of the Holy Spirit because that's exactly what your one life needs is you. You don't have to be Billy Graham. You don't have to be Mother Teresa. You just have to be you. And then finally, reflect God's grace. And honestly, this might be the hardest one. Because as you're discovering the story of your one life, you may hear things that quite honestly are hard to hear. You may hear things and stories that they tell you that make you want to bristle and make you want to go, how could you do something like that? What were you thinking? Don't you know that's wrong? But listen, if you want to be a spiritual influencer in someone's life, you have got to reflect God's grace that you have received. You have to be radically inclusive of where people are in their life right now. That doesn't mean recklessly condoning the sin that they confess to you, but rather accepting them just as they are. And if that makes you uncomfortable, then join the club. Because this is the hard work of loving someone without judgment. It's the hard work of letting the Holy Spirit do His job while we stay in our lane and do our job. Let the Holy Spirit do His job of convicting of sin while we stay in our lane and do our job of loving that person well. And what I found that helps me is something that might help you too if you struggle with this. If I find that I am shocked by what someone just told me, 
If I find that I am shocked by a sin that someone just confessed to me or a story they just shared with me, all I have to do is think about my own sin and where I would be without God's grace. And all of a sudden, I'm not shocked anymore. You see, I know my capacity to sin. And chances are you probably know yours too. And I know that if it weren't for God's grace, my life would be more of a mess right now than it already is. Before I was a Christian, I used people. I was selfish. I was filled with pride and anger. And you know, those things still kind of rear up in me every now and then, even as the Holy Spirit is doing his job of making me more and more into the image of Christ. But that's who I was before I was a Christian. Here's the thing. Like Jesus' response to my sorry state was acceptance and love, not judgment and condemnation. His posture towards me when I was buried in my own sin was compassion and grace and tenderness and mercy. It was God's kindness that led me to repentance. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 8, you see at just the right time, when we were still sinners, when we were so powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Fellow Christians, before we placed our faith in Jesus, all of us at one time or another, we were powerless. All of us were ungodly. All of us were separated from a relationship with God because of our sin. And there was nothing that we could do about it. And so God did something on our behalf that we could not do for ourselves. And while we were still sinners, meaning that God did not wait for us to get our act together. Don't miss this. God did not wait for us to get our act together. God did not wait for us to change our story and clean it up to where it was presentable. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us to change our story. Christ died for us so that by grace we might be saved. By grace we might be conformed into the image of Christ. By grace the Holy Spirit may begin to do the work inside of us to make us more like Jesus. It is by grace we have been saved. We offer nothing to this, but Jesus is doing his work inside of us. See, the only difference between you and your one life is the grace that you have received in Christ. That's it. The only difference between your story and their story is the grace that you've received in Christ. The same grace that he wants to show them through you. All of us have felt the brokenness of our world and all of us in one way or another, we have contributed to the brokenness of our world and the brokenness of someone else's life. And sometimes in very painful and ugly ways, you and I are just as much in need of God's grace as anyone else that we will meet in this world. And as you discover the life and the story of your one life, there are going to be uncomfortable moments. There are going to be messy realities. There are going to be stories of brokenness and pain that make you angry and then make you want to cry. But when you reflect God's grace given to you through Jesus, you begin to build bridges of trust between your one life and you tear down the walls that want to divide between us and them because we realize that we are all in need of God's grace. 
And we create space where our, our one life might be able to experience that grace for the very first time. And so as you develop friendships with your one life and you begin to discover their story, remember one, proximity matters. You've got to be close to people relationally, physically, to create space where conversations can happen. And when they do, number two, just be you. You don't have to be anyone else. You just have to be the best version of you that you can possibly be in that moment because that's exactly who God wants to use in their life. And then finally, number three, don't forget to reflect God's grace to them. The same grace that has saved you is available to them. Let them experience that grace through you. Church, I challenge you to take the risk of sidelining your own agenda and discovering other people's stories, no matter how uncomfortable it makes you, no matter how awkward the situation becomes, no matter how heavy the sin is that you're sorting through with them. Listen, you may be the single flame of hope in someone's darkness and despair that reminds them that there is a God who created them, who loves them, and desires to be in a relationship with them, no matter where they are right now. You have the opportunity to be an extension of God's grace in that person's life. Man, imagine. Imagine what that would be like. Just imagine the excitement of being used by God to help someone experience that, maybe for the very first time. What do you say we go out and do that together? Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.